What's going on, guys? Welcome to the first episode of Black and White Church. Colton, what's going on, man? You know, I'm just sitting here in my salmon shorts wow. in some 89-degree weather in Mesa, Arizona, and 100%. it's a good time. Dude, it's a good time. it will never, I think, get any cooler. <laughs> it's just not going to happen, bro. Yeah. For those of you listening, Ryan lives in Mesa. I actually live in Seattle, Washington, uh, and it is 50 degrees in Seattle right now, and I came down here to record, and it's 90 degrees here. So I, as much as I love seeing my my white legs, mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, I'd rather be wearing pants. Hey, give yourself some. So anyway, though. not the whitest legs. Speaking of white stuff um, and black stuff and all the stuff, <laughs> uh, we're talking about black church and white church today. Ryan, when I when I say the words black church and white church, what does that bring up in you? Man, when you say black church and white church, the first thing I do is repress my feelings. So I <laughs> analytically, I analytically go, "Yo, why didn't you just say church?" And that's because what has happened is we've normalized white church in America to be church and black church as this like separate entity, even though I've visited and and even tried to attend black churches when I was younger out here in Mesa, my dad would take me. He never called it black church, but I picked up on it because we would go to these churches and it was mainly black people. When I got invited to Red Mountain, um, where I'm at now, it was an almost all-white church. I had a, I had a Hispanic intern uh, that oversaw my small group, but my reaction to that question is like, oh, there, there's a difference, and we can't ignore that. Yeah. Um, and then it feels bad, man. It feels bad after that because you're like, what? That is so not the biblical story, but here we are. Yeah. In my mind growing up, you had black church and then church. Like, mm. There was a white church. That's why even like I love putting in white church in the right. title because that's not – there isn't white church. If you talk to any person who's in a white church, they're probably not going to call it white church, um, but they'll call it black church, black church. Like there was black pastors yeah. and just pastors. There's black theology and just theology. Think of like black, black preaching and then preaching. Uh, even think of it like greater, like there's African Americans mm-hmm. and what's the other kind? Just Americans. It's not European Americans, not Italian Americans, although I call myself an Italian American. Um, but so it, there's this reality of there's this split. There's a black church and a white church. Like I mean, we'll talk about this a little bit more, James. We have a James Baldwin quote coming up. But one way that's helpful for me uh, and has been helpful for me to think about black and white church is a question I often like to ask myself and ask others is that, okay, so thinking about the Christian witness in America, let's say the last 50 years, who had a greater impact on the Christian mission, MLK or Billy Graham? There they are. (laughs) And not to pit them against each other. Uh, We'll talk more about them later in a different episode. But normally your response to that might show a little bit of where you've been at in church and what influences you had on you in church. Because my first gut response would be Billy Graham, of course. Like the Crusades, like he's at all these events. Like think how many people he saved. But if you talk to others, it's like MLK. Are you kidding me? Like he was martyred for one. Um, Exactly. So that that might be one way that might be just helpful in thinking of how we have different experiences entirely of even Christianity in America where we have these two distinct things. Um, so we're going to talk about that today. Yeah, and if you're already experiencing uh, kind of even what I experienced and just told you guys of that idea of like, man, I'm, I'm repressing some sort of feeling of being frustrated or feeling uh, maybe even a little bit defensive, that's a good thing. Sit with that for a second because that example of MLK and uh, Billy Graham and, and what was the greater influence in your understanding of faith, uh, even though that might come from your grandparents or your parents, uh, you've inherited some perspective. You have, uh, if you're a believer. Uh, if you're a non-believer listening to this, I'm so glad you're here. Uh, please give us a chance. <laughs> and um, 
I, I do think that that's such an important question, and it's a prime example of how you think what is normal isn't normal for someone else. Mm-hmm. And for me to begin to realize that and put ideas to that had to start as early as like five years old. But maybe for you, and you're listening to this, uh, that that isn't the case. And so we're asking you to just step in and stay with us as we uh, keep going. And like obviously there is one big C church. We're all a part of the family yeah, of God. Church Universal. Get our theology but, right. But we do clearly have some factions in America. So I want to mm-hmm. read this quote from James Baldwin. I think uh, sometimes it's attributed to MLK, and he might have said something similar. But basically James Baldwin says, I don't know if white Christians hate blacks or not, but I know that we have a Christian church that is white and a Christian church which is black. I know the most segregated hour in America is high noon on Sunday. So even Darn. in the 60s, and it's still true today, actually America is more segregated now than it was in the 80s. We'll get into more of that in a different episode. Lots um, of stuff coming. We, we have a split. There's a clear split. And the problem is, is that most people just look at the split and they assume that it's just because white and black people didn't want to hang out because of you know historical beef. And so we decided to go our separate ways. It's like yeah. a family had a fight. And so they were both equally wrong, and so they decided to form their own churches, or just like how you know a lot of Protestant denominations work. We mm-hmm. get in a theological dispute, and now we're going to split. The problem is that that's not really that's exactly how white and black church came exactly. to be. Exactly. Yeah, that's um, not really what so happened So let's just here. let's just dive into some examples. This will be fun, uh, fun time. And again, Ryan and I love the church. Yes. We have committed our lives to the church. So when we bring up the things the church has gone wrong, um, one, we could ask the question: Was that even truly the church, or was it just an imposter? Um, <laughs> you know, was the church being sus to, Dude, to quote our sus, Gen bro. Z friends? Uh-huh. Um, or was there just serious, you know, misgivings, serious mistakes, serious errors, serious evil uh, being done by the church? We're okay right. saying the Catholic church mm-hmm. has done a lot of evil, but it's sometimes hard to look at our own church in America and see kind of where we've gone wrong. Um, so let's let's just dive into some, some examples. For those of you who don't know, America has had a lot of Christian churches in it for a long time. Um, a lot of people would say it was founded as a Christian nation, and that's true upon its values in some ways. But when we dive into the specifics of how the white church in America interacted with black people who were coming over here as slaves, uh, it starts to get a little murky. So, for instance, it does. Um, there was a slave Bible that white churchgoers made that omitted passages about freedom in the Exodus from the scriptures. So that way they could convert their black folk to being more submissive as slaves, being more obedient, because that's a part of the gospel and a part of the scriptures. Right, but it took right. out the part of liberation. It took out the part of freedom. Yeah. Um, so that's like a, a, just a beautiful, not beautiful, a prime example of Beautiful by the cynically, split. yes. Yes. <laughs> yes. The next one, I mean, this is stuff that comes from reading. If you want to fact check us, go ahead and do it. But there was evidence in, in history and examples of pastors often received slaves um, in their church salary packages. Um, so just now, like you'd maybe receive your 401k and health benefits or maybe even a living expense or even maybe a house from a church. You in get the a human. Times, you could get a human. There uh, you go. Look at that. I mean, this is from propaganda. There's chaplains on slave ships. Chaplains on slave ships, man. <laughs> uh, so like literally there's people that are preaching to people to get them to be saved but are putting them in chains to bring them to America. And they're just defecating all over themselves. Yep, and it just kind of sat by. Uh, this is one of my, my favorite ones, personally. Um, George Whitfield. Uh, that might ring a bell to some of you who are yep. deep into the, the theological. One of America's greatest. One of America's greatest famous preachers and evangelists held tent meetings and saved countless souls. Um, he George Whitfield was actually the one that legalized slavery in Georgia. Obviously, he wasn't the one that signed the bill. He wasn't the one that made the policies. Right. But Historians would say slavery would not have become legalized in Georgia if it wasn't for George Whitfield rallying the congregations to support it. And the reason he did that, Ryan, um, and this is where this is like a perfect so example 
of a lot of what's happened is that he wanted to build an orphanage. That sounds like a really good thing mm-hmm. for white orphans. Okay. But okay. he couldn't afford it without having free slave labor. So he had to legalize and advocate for legalizing slavery in Georgia so that he could build this orphanage for poor white kids. Yes. So uh, you can imagine if you are a, a black slave in America or even a black slave who has been freed down America right. and you're hearing these messages and you have memories of this, even though you now come to faith in Jesus, you actually believe in the Jesus of the Bible. Right you might start to realize that Jesus you're following in the Bible might be a little different than the Jesus of your slave owners um, or the Jesus of your pastors who are advocating for these things. Yeah, there seems to be a lot of, what's the word that I want to look for? Uh, Comfort with power over other people, literally over bodies. Uh, That's the complicit message in every single one of these examples, Colton, that you've given is there's been somebody who has basically taken away the basic right of existence to profit off of a message. Even if it's the gospel, you still have that idea of, well, let me just save your soul, but your body is just going to be used for whatever gain I want it to be used mm-hmm. for. And and that is really the beginning of the American story and the black and white church story. So I find it fascinating how anybody came to faith as a black person back in those days and and yet I also don't because that's what Jesus does. So yeah, let, yeah, let's keep going. I just wanted to. Yeah, no, that's good. That's that good. Up. That's why I mean, there's there's a big movement amongst even black atheists, white atheists, mm-hmm. where it's like, wh- why would you ever want to become a Christian when these are the, the examples I just gave? These are the people that it gave you the faith. They gave you the faith of Jesus, and yet they're using it to weaponize it against you, to enslave you, and get you to not seek freedom mm-hmm. or liberation, even though the scriptures. Clearly, clearly advocate for that, the and entire, the early church clearly advocated right. for the that. The entire history of Israel is predicated upon, don't forget the Lord your God who brought you out of slavery in <laughs> Egypt. Yeah, but if we just admit it from the slave Bible, then we don't have to worry about it. You're right. Just uh, cut it out. So anyway, let's keep going. We're going to talk about lynchings in different episodes, so we're only going to touch on it briefly here. But there, there's examples, and this is historical, um, that church members would often either attend lynchings before the church service and then head to church or would get out of church and immediately go to a lynching. So just imagine that. Imagine that for a second. Sit here. I know we want to gloss over the past and not want to think about it. Or those who have thought about it, we're ready to move on. But I think we need to sit in this a little longer. Imagine if you, you know, you get your family together in your minivan, you head to your suburban white church uh, nowadays, you know, there's nothing wrong with that. Nope. Um, You go, you have your typical donuts. Um, I, at one point, in between first and second service at the church we're at right now, had 10 donuts. Uh, I stole them uh, from the donut counter. They yep. actually started putting someone there who had, like, a donation bin, and then yep. they'd hand it to you, you and they'd, that. like, make you kind of donate. Um, so then I'd I wait till they go to the bathroom and then, st- take too many. then steal more donuts. <laughs> um, so We've all been there. Anyway, so imagine then you leave that with your kids. You just heard an awesome sermon on Jesus died for my sins. We had elevation worship songs playing, some hill songs sprinkled in there, reckless love if you're a little bit more progressive. And you leave from that and you go watch someone literally hung, dragged, beaten, stoned, tarred, shot, whatever. And we'll get into more specifics because it actually gets even worse than that. It does. Um, Just imagine that, though. Like, How could you go to a service that is talking about the goodness of Jesus and the goodness that is for the world and then immediately go to something like that. Like think of what has, there has to be some kind of disconnect here um, where you can sit in a service like that and then immediately attend a lynching. But that's what was happening in America. Yeah, and it would become a postcard. Not So not only do you go and you look at this 
uh, atrocity and this tragedy of the actual human or multiple human beings hanging, burn, bruise, shot, beat, whatever. But then, all right, everybody, time to take a picture. Yeah. And then you send that to your relatives across they the state. They weren't going to protest the lynching. No. It's not like they were going there to pray for it or stop it. No. They were there to participate. There, it was a participation. The, just, yeah. Sit with that mental disconnect here for a second. Because that is part of the foundation of what we're talking about. Yeah. And so we move, we move forward. Um, and as a lot of times slaves are getting freed and there was maybe more black and white people living amongst one another, right as that kind of cusp is happening where still some people were enslaved, some were not, Christians would often bring their slaves to church, but they'd make them sit in the back. Um, and then even in the Catholic church, they would have uh, them take communion last. So if you think actually about communion, where it's supposed to be this beautiful picture of the body of Jesus across racial, ethnic, uh, class, cultural right, boundaries— we're bringing to the table we're all one now in Jesus and to force this subjugation still of a people who you're identifying as Christians because you're letting them take communion, but you're still making them go last. You're keeping the hierarchy. That is so contrary. But again, this is just no one batted an eye at it. Um, it was normal. And this is not, obviously this is not every church, every where in America in the history. Obviously, there are some good ones. There's a remnant always. There's things happening. But this was still happening. The ones who weren't doing this weren't really saying anything about the ones who were. So let's let's keep moving on from that. Uh, sermons would often be heavy on Paul, um, and then light on the Exodus and freedom passage. We talked a little bit about this, um, but if you yep. think of Jonathan Edwards, yep, that is a classic example. Jonathan Edwards, man, the classic example. Uh, you know, uh, one of America's greatest theologians. Again, so or or honestly, to a lot of people in the Reformed evangelical circles, he is like the boy. Um, mm-hmm. I, I personally had to read uh, a book about Jonathan Edwards and spiritual formation early last year as part of some classes I was taking at a different evangelical seminary. And it was really My hard for me to even start. Yeah, <laughs> it was really hard for me to even start it because it's like, oh, man, here we go again. Like uh, another handful of white authors looking at a guy who was supposed to be one of the greatest minds ever, which is OK. I'm not I'm not downplaying that but the stain and the 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 disconnect the cognitive dissonance that it takes for me to actually take him seriously because he owned slaves and didn't denounce it and yet was considered one of the greatest theologians when it's so clearly different from what jesus actually does in the bible and what the early church actually advocated for it's hard it's hard to hear and it's hard to listen to all the time because it's one man and and again we could say that for any christian leader in history but the point is not to deflect. The point is to sit with this and, and look at how even even somebody as legendary as Jonathan Edwards was complicit in his times by owning and not denouncing necessarily slavery. Now, I know there's some uh, letters he's written and some things that he said uh, that could make it look like he might have changed his mind near the end of his life. But there was no definitive, this is bad, this is wrong. And his reputation would be at stake for that as well. And so there's, again, ego and, and power and how those things work out. Uh, all of these are at the heart of why we have, in the first place, black and white church. Yeah. And this is not to say that now we have to throw out every historical preacher, pastor, figure. Yeah. But just because they were a part of their cultural moment doesn't mean we can just gloss over it now. We're asking you to almost sit in that tension. You can resolve it how you would like to. Yeah. But we can't ignore the uglier sides of them. I mean, the same way when we get in talking about MLK, MLK had we a long history of extramarital it. affairs. Yeah. We're not going to avoid that. It doesn't mean that everything he done now is a fraud and a lie, but we have to sit in that tension. We have to sit in the reality of 
there's aspects of ourselves that aren't fully according to the image of Jesus. And not just saying that, well, then everyone's bad and equating MLK's extramarital affairs with someone owning people. But we need to actually look in those. Sometimes this happens when we look at, you know, people in this current election, which will be over by the time that this releases. Um, so, if you know, you good luck. any missiles or like <laughs> tanks rolling in in the middle of one of these recordings and we're still alive. It'll be pretty late. We're recording this right before the election. So if things happen differently, maybe we won't even release this. But regardless to say, it, often we're looking at this election and saying, oh, my gosh, I hate sides. They're both so bad and so terrible. But I think we need to ask ourselves, well, how? How specifically are there and how can we weigh these things that are terrible? We can only deal with what we name and yeah. what we actually pay attention to. So, so, yeah. Let's move past from, you know, slavery of old and let's move into the last like 70 years um, during segregation. Feels um, good. Pastors would often encourage their congregants to obey the law and keep segregation. This is well documented. Um, when MLK started pushing for integration, many did not join that effort. That's very clear. He only had a 25% approval rating in America at the time of his death. So I know we really love MLK now and think he was this great Christian hero. And if I was back then with MLK, I would be I marching, would with, marching him. with him. <laughs> I'd be marching somewhere. You I'd see the movie? Right I'd yeah. be that one white pastor that'd be with him. That'd be me, That'd be right? you specifically. That'd be me Paul. specifically. Yeah. Um, no. We have to actually look at what are we believing now? Is that actually lined up with okay, MLK? And, and have we actually given him a fair view of history? Or have we kind of, kind of softened him up a little bit so we feel more comfortable with him? Again, 75% of people disapproved of him, and pastors literally were writing to him. Billy Graham even denounced him at one point. Yeah. Um, and so we're going to talk about that more in a different episode. But again, just to put that in your radar, this wasn't hundreds of years ago. There's people that are still alive, still alive. that were advocating for black Christians to be bitten by dogs and put down by fire hoses and then going to church and giving some theological justification for it. These are the people that have been pastoring our churches for the last 70 years. Does that mean everything they pastored us is a lie? No. But again, we have to sit with the tension we have of to be specific. what humanity is. And one of the last things we'll hit on, because we're going to talk on a bunch of different things about black and white church, is that a lot of private Christian universities and schools, especially in the South, started and rose up because they wanted to keep segregation. Um, this Correct. is Bob Jones University, if you've heard of that. They didn't actually allow uh, interracial dating until 2000. 2000. Uh, 2000. Guys, um, it was that's still, 20 it was years still ago, in their guys. handbook. Maybe they allowed it you know, functionally, but it was in their handbook that you still weren't allowed to date across races. Um, and Abeka. If you know Abeka, if you're a homeschool kid like I was, um, Abeka actually separated um, and started because Christians did not want to send their white kids to school with black kids after integration. So we started our own private Christian school where we could teach them Christian values and preserve segregation. This happens across the board. If you look at a lot of Christian universities, even my alma mater, it moved out of the downtown in the 50s, which is when a lot of black people started moving to the cities, and moved into where? The suburbs. The suburbs. Uh, where more of the white people were moving out. So there's a lot to say there. This, again, is not to bash in the white church. This is not to bash and say, oh, my gosh, we would never make these same mistakes. Um, we, there's things now that we're going to find out about in 20 years that we're going to be like, oh, my gosh, I can't believe I was complicit in that. And then we need to repent, make amends, and make it right. Um, but we can't continue to just like gloss past our injustices and especially the injustices of old that actually founded our denominations. Um, Ryan, could you talk a little bit about the SBC, uh, the Southern Baptist Convention, for those of you who don't know what that is? Yeah, so the SBC is one of the largest conventions. It's actually just been uh, renamed the uh, Great Commission Baptist uh, denomination. Um, but the, the truth about... <laughs> Uh, and you can read more about this in The Color of Compromise by Jamar Tisby. Uh, the truth about the SBC is that it originally was one denomination that had an internal split over whether or not its members 
could be slaves, whether if the slaves that people attended or black people that were free that attended were able to actually become part of the church. And so it was such a fraction of power and representation. Um, and keep in mind, we're not too far away from about a uh, hundred years after uh, three-fifths compromise goes down. Uh, what you see is that the entire denomination just splits over the legitimacy of the humanity of black people. And so can my uh, slave here be a member? Yes or no. And it had to be no uh, for the SBC. And so that's why the SBC, SBC split is because they did not want to actually count black attendees or black slaves that attended as um, actual members of the congregation. So even your soul can get saved. You can come and sit into a seat. You uh, can be taught English. You can listen to sermons. You probably can probably tithe. Yeah, probably <laughs> tithe, but you can't be a member. And so the SBC would not have that. They didn't allow it. And that's how they actually began over a split on the humanity of uh, slaves and black people. That's that's a real thing. And surprise, surprise, the SBC or the Great Commission uh, <laughs> Baptists now are still working through so much. You can read articles right now uh, from 2018 and 19 of studies done about the complicity of racism and segregation and the SBC's part to play in that geopolitically. Uh, uh, on, on Google, you can just look that up on Christianity Today or um, anywhere else that you like to read your Christian current events. <laughs> so I prefer just K-Love. I just listen to the radio. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Whatever they tell me. Air yeah. One for me. Air one. <laughs> oh, not trendy. Yeah, yeah, I'm, tr- <laughs> right. I'm trendy boy. And so I know some of you listening will say, well, that, that, that's not true Christianity. We figured it out now. Um, they weren't a true expression of it, or those people got it wrong. They got slavery wrong. We get it. We got slavery wrong. We understand. We get it. But here's the thing. A lot of our theology and our theological forefathers, Jonathan Edwards, George Whitfield, the Puritans, these people oh, who we the Puritans, <laughs> the Puritans um, who we revere as theological gurus who gave us the very truths of the scriptures and told us how to follow Jesus and are still influencing us to this day are complicit in some of the most horrendous crimes against humanity. And here's the thing. I don't really buy the it was the cultural moment thing. I buy that to a degree. But here's the reality is, is that I keep on saying, here's the thing. I'm like one of the presidential nominees. Yeah, that's okay, bro. <laughs> here's the, we just watched Malarkey. it last night. Malarkey. Yeah. Anyway. Coming fresh off. Uh, so when we look at how we kind of view theology, I'm an egalitarian. Um, I'm just going to say that on the podcast. I'm an egalitarian. If you don't know what that means, it means I think women can be pastors and elders. Um, some people, because of how they read the scriptures, think that's not true, and that's okay. But as I've been told, you know, that as I've kind of drifted in egalitarianism, I've been told that this one belief about women in scripture will impact my other beliefs about maybe the LGBT community. It will make me lose my inerrancy of scripture until eventually I'll spiral and go down the slippery slope into not believing in God at all. So, although I don't fully buy that argument, um, when we look at the slippery slope, how do we think that you can own people, subjugate people, beat people, make a theological justification for it, and yet it Come doesn't on. affect how you think about anything else? Nothing. The, my porn history impacts how I view women, which impacts how I view scripture, which impacts how I interact with them. To say that my personal sin, um, which <laughs> slavery is so much more different than just a personal sin, um, does not have any other influence, especially when we have theology that we use to justify slavery. It doesn't make any sense. And when you root that in history, Christians as early as the second and third century were working to abolish slavery. So we regressed 
It's not that we've gradually been progressing as Christians and gotten the vision right. We had it right when Jesus came, and we worked. And even in Augustine, in I think St. John of Christentum, um, and in Gregory of Nicaea, they were all advocating for an abolishment of slavery entirely, no matter what the cause was. And in the 1500s and 1600s and 1700s and 1800s, and even into the 1900s, we somehow regressed, and we're going to say that's just their cultural moment, but then we also like to claim that Christians were the one that abolished slavery in the 1900s and 1800s. So wait, their contemporary Christians were actually having the truth, and the other ones were just choosing to ignore it? So there to it give them a pass by saying it's their cultural moment, one, does not look at history in the right lens. Two, basically ignores that there were other people around that were actually telling them the truth, and they were just refusing to listen. It's not like no one knew that slavery was bad. Right. They were literally Christians. William Wilberforce were saying this. But we refuse as a white Christian church as a whole to listen to it. If white Christians in America had decided altogether that slavery was bad, you know what would have happened? It would have been abolished because they had that kind of force. Very quickly. They had um, power, resources. But they didn't. And so to think that somehow all this theology we inherited, our church structures, our idea of three songs, sermon, three songs, everything that's about us, it doesn't mean that everything's bad. But I think we actually need to take a hard look because we can't just view their owning of slaves as owning of humans as this isolated thing within their character that doesn't impact anything else. But we're still very much in the theological tradition of Jonathan Edwards and some of the other ones we in are. a lot of ways. Um, so we're not, again, we're not saying that all of it is bad, but we have to realize that there's got to be more stuff going on. It could, they just can't, you can't just own people and then have nothing else wrong with your theology. It's somehow that they just were so blameless and it was just one thing. Yeah. So regardless— Crooked sticks can draw straight lines. That we'll acknowledge true. that. We'll acknowledge that. Um, propaganda acknowledge that. <laughs> we love prop. We love propaganda. One of um, my heroes. He DMs me when I DM on Instagram. That's true. He responds. He, he did respond to your DM. Uh, you made it. You made I it. I did it. Let's take that all and let's bring it to the present. Because what my people might say is like, okay, we get it. <laughs> we get it, guys. Yeah. Uh, I don't want to talk about this anymore. If you're tired, try what do you just want me to being say? black. What do you want me to say? Yeah. I'm sorry. Yes. Yes. <laughs> yes. Uh, 100%. Not you individually is responsible, but you corporately. We'll talk about that in a different episode about slavery. Yep. And um, generational repentance. But you let's just talk that. before we get into maybe some ideas of what needs to happen from here, even though we're not going to offer a ton of solutions because we just want to highlight why there's a split mostly in this episode. But let's look at today. So. 2020. 2020. One of the most tumultuous years. <laughs> Of my life. <laughs> I don't know about y'all's. Uh, yeah, but when you put it in the context of history, it's not too bad. Yeah. yeah. Look at it. When we look at today, statistics show the split, too. Not only in just, like, demographically of how we're not in each other's churches, but also of how we feel about certain issues. Um, so the funny, the first fact we'll start with, um, nobody hates black people, right? That's just, no one hates them. No one hates them. No one's a racist because no one hates them. So a survey asked, and this is from the, the Public Research, uh, Public Religion Research Institute, they asked, how warmly do you feel towards African-Americans? And they asked white people, guess who scored the highest? White evangelicals. Um, and they scored the highest at 71% of white people said, I feel very warmly towards African-Americans, um, which might, might be true in how they feel. But let's dive into actually how they may line up with the stories of African-Americans. Question one, do you think the police killings of black men recently are just isolated incidents? 71 of evangelicals said yes. Guess how many of African-American Protestants said yes? 15%. Ooh. So that's a big difference in opinion. Huge difference. Do you think opinion. players should have to stand for the national anthem? 83% of white evangelicals said yes, only 30% of black Protestants. Mm, discrepancies indeed. So we feel very warmly 
towards the black community, but yet we don't seem to understand the things they're passionate about um, or advocating for, or even just their opinions on things. Can blacks overcome their circumstances without any help? 70% of white evangelicals said yes. Only 30% of black Protestants said yes. Hmm. Do generations of slavery and discrimination harm blacks' ability to work their way out of the lower class today? 60% of white evangelicals said no. It doesn't affect them today. 67% of black Protestants said slavery and discrimination harms blacks' ability to work their way out of the lower class today. We can keep going and going to show you we do not see eye to eye no. on so many things. So it's not just that we decided to go into our separate little churches to have our own styles of worship and our own styles of preaching. It's almost in some ways there's fundamentally two different ways of seeing the world in America. And that's just true across the board, but that especially amongst Christians. Correct. Yeah, it, it really turns into this idea of do you acknowledge the problem? Again, that question of can you just sit and actually sit in the tension and say this happened and this is real? Just like going back to uh, that picture of lynching right after church. It's like there's no way that happened. Is, that might be your reaction. It's like actually, yes, it is. And so there seems to be this line that can't be crossed of belief, like a, a totally different belief issue, not in the same God, but in how we actually work out what it means to follow Jesus and what we believe about community and about human life. Uh, because it's, it's one thing to say that you want to give somebody dignity or you want to trust in their ability to, you know, pull themselves up out of their bootstraps or buy their bootstraps or out of their economic situation. But you have to look at history and you have to hear the plight and the narrative of somebody who's disagreeing with you. Just like if you had a friend whose feelings you hurt, uh, would you just tell them to give you the facts about the feelings that you hurt? Or would you actually be like, yo, what did I actually do? I'm so sorry. Whether or not you totally agreed how you got there, you'd have to slow down and listen. And so that's what we're asking you to do with all these discrepancies. We can't ignore the discrepancy. Even if you disagree with the outcome of the question, you can't ignore the fact that largely the responses to those same questions by the white and black communities, Christians, are the same or are different. Are you can't ignore that they're opposites and vastly opposite. Yeah, It's chasmic. So when we're asking about specifically black issues in America, black Christians have one opinion and white Christians have one opinion. So all we're asking is that, hey, when it's a black issue, white Christians, can you just listen first rather than going immediately to facts? And I think the, the reality is, is that I want to ask a question is, how many black Christian friends are you actually friends with? Like actually friends with? And here, I'm going to take, this is me. I have one. He's sitting right across me right now. Yo. I'm a part of this problem. I'm a part of the, the reason of not being able to see from someone else's shoes. Um, all my friends, for the most part, are white. So of course I don't understand. Of course I see things through a different lens. But can we just Correct. stop and listen? I don't live in the black community. I don't know what troubles they're facing. I don't know their narrative. Can I just like first listen? Even though I have my idea of culture, education, whatever, you know, whatever you want to say, can you just realize that there's a huge discrepancy between black and white church about serious issues? Serious ones. And, and rather just assuming that the white church has got it right, can we take a posture of humility and actually maybe seek to find resolution with them? Because um, basically what you're telling the black church is that we know the like the, the issues that are plaguing your community we know the solutions better than you do your solutions are wrong our solutions are right yeah we're not living in your community yeah we, we haven't really interacted with you yeah i don't have any black friends but i can tell you as a black christian as a brother in christ what your problem is even though you actually know it way better than i do um, and we're not saying that the, that means that black people are inerrant it's just saying that hey actually why don't you just listen <laughs> 
just like listen just listen um so anyway ryan we have to move because we're christians um we believe we in jesus yes, and we so do. what's the solution then so only listen to this and like okay i get it i believe you um i i see the problem i see the issue i see the split it just seems like it's so far gone our churches are so segregated. How could we ever come back together? We have such different experiences of life in America. How could we ever come back together? What would kind of be your hope for that? Yeah, I think in terms of solution, I think there's a lot of things going on. Um, I think the first thing you have to do is uh, I hate that this is like such the cookie cutter answer, but it is acknowledged. That's what we're asking you to do, especially with this first episode. It's acknowledging. And if you are a white Christian, um, and, and you realize you don't have any black friends. I said this on my Instagram maybe five, four months ago. <laughs> but if you don't have any black friends and you're a believer uh, and you're a white believer or you don't have any ethnic friends at all and you're a white believer, go get some or get one. And yeah, you know what this is going to require is the third thing that the part of the solution is sacrifice. That means you're going to have to feel a little bit dumb. You're going to have to feel a little bit behind the ball. You're going to have to feel a little bit exposed and say, hey, I actually don't have uh, many relationships that have the experience you've had. Can we build one? Can we start one? For a black person, 90% of the time, we are going to be like, that's weird. But we also are going to be like, hey, but at least they're trying. At, le at least there's an attempt here. Yeah. We live in constant ambiguity as black people in america because there's a constant message coming across to us either explicitly or implicitly that says uh you're here but we don't really want you here that much or you're here but you're more of a tool or a prop or you're here but uh just stay quiet and and we'll figure this out eventually um and so you taking time to actually say and acknowledge uh, uh somebody of color in your in your immediate circle or maybe even your own church uh and you attend a white church Go and sacrifice your own ego for just a little bit and start a conversation. I think we have to start there. Uh, Colton and I are going to talk a lot more about uh, major solutions and major theories and, and thoughts to that. And I'm doing even study on that on my own. Just because I'm black does not mean I have all the answers. So don't expect that or put that weight on me either. But I would say I would start there. Acknowledge it and then find a black or, or ethnic friend and then actually sacrifice yourself a little bit and ask to start a relationship. Uh, not just for the purpose of figuring this out, but for the purpose of actually being more in line with what the gospel calls us to be, especially for people groups that are under scrutiny or under oppression or under some sort of exclusion from the larger society. And the idea of sacrifice, you can see that when Paul's in Ephesus, um, for those of you who are Bible nerds, um, when Paul's in Come Ephesus, he, he preaches the gospel for multiple years. He proclaims the kingdom of God. He calls people to leave their idols and previous ideologies. And guess what happens? People do. They leave their idols and they leave their ideologies, so they stop sacrificing to the Greek god, Greek god Artemis. So what Fun that does, if you, don't, if you don't understand how the, the Greco-Roman world worked, is that a lot of the economy was kind of fed through the temples at times. Um, there was some lucrative money could be made. Lots um, of cash with for them idols, boy. Sacrificing animals to the idols, uh, so many different things that they would do. And so what happened is, is that these people found Jesus, they left their idols, left sacrificing to the Greek gods, and it halted the economy. So this happened so bad that literally a riot started from the people in Ephesus, that they were so mad at Paul and these Christians for leaving their ways and their customs of doing it, that they got Paul and tried to force him out of the city. And so the question is, have we as Americans, white Americans, white Christians, have we ever stood up in such a way against the American system of racism? I'm not saying systemic racism. We can talk about that later. But I'm just Buzzwords. saying the reality 
the history of racism in a way that actually hurt the economy, that actually put our lives at risk? Have we ever stood in the way of racism in that kind of way? I don't think we have in a lot of ways. I don't think a lot of us have for, for at least one regard. And so the question I, I want to end this with is we kind of ask ourselves, this is from Romans 12. Everyone loves Romans. Romans 12, 2 says, do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. We often take that. It's a fun, like, slogan you can put on in your little nightstand or you can put above yeah. your, your kitchen nightstand table. Time. But it says, don't be transformed or don't be conformed to the world, but to be transformed by the renewing of your, of your mind. So in what ways have you been discipled by America and not the kingdom of God? Have you asked yourself this? What ways have I bought in to this American way of being, thinking, doing, or acting that is contrary to the way of Jesus? America and the kingdom of God, you know this, are not one thing. They're not one entity. So in what ways, specifically in terms of racism and things that relate to that, have I actually been more discipled by my politicians, more discipled by my American consumerism, more discipled by my American ways of viewing power that I've actually neglected the way of Jesus, especially in terms of how I relate to my black brothers and sisters in Jesus. So again, there's not an answer. We'll get to answers maybe later. But again, the first episode, we just want you to sit with this. And if you haven't read accounts of lynchings or other things about the history of, of white supremacy in white churches in the history of America, you need to go do that right now. Just do it. Because you can't really understand this current moment until you understand how we got here. Um, so yeah, there's episode one, Ryan. All right, sweet. <laughs> there we go, guys. Uh, and seriously, go. Uh, you can always check out in the notes some of the resources that we're using. Um, but I would just go pick up a copy of The Cross and the Lynching Tree by James Cone, uh, a great theologian and professor, uh, a black one who has done some incredible work in the last, uh, I think, century. And then uh, go pick up The Color of Compromise by Jamar Tisby. And it'll go through a lot of the things that we touched on today, uh, again, with more notes and facts and things in the back for you. Uh, thank you guys so much for listening and uh, hopefully you tune in soon.